0: Welcome to Ed Show episode 125. I'm Simon. And I'm Simon. All right. Well, Simon and Simon, we've been traveling across Europe together the past two weeks. Plenty of confusion throughout the Baltics. Yeah,
1: that was pretty tricky, wasn't it? We Every actually, time we went everywhere.
0: We ended up having to be Cloud Simon
1: and Mobile Simon the yeah. whole time. Yeah. It kind of worked, though. It was a Kind good of worked.
0: Figured it out in the end. Yeah. But
1: what were we last week? Well, the obvious one was TechEd Europe. We were over there um, delivering a few sessions, doing the Channel 9 Live. Hopefully, you guys had a, a good watch of all of the stuff that we've put out on Channel 9 Live. Of course... Um, all of the on-demand sessions that are going to be made available are now available, so you can go on take a quick look through those. Um, actually, some news just in. There's a couple of sessions that we're still working on. They'll be a little bit longer coming up, but they're going to arrive shortly, so uh, keep an eye on Channel 9, and you'll be able to access uh, all of those sessions. Some really interesting stuff on there as well.
0: Great. Well, next thing, we've released two new courses on the Microsoft Virtual Academy. The first one is about IP address management from one of our fellow evangelists based out of South Africa, Morgan Webb. In this, he takes a look at some of the latest capabilities from 2012 R2 IPAM, talking about best practices about how to set up this new type of IP address management server. We've also released one of our other sessions from Windows Azure Pack, And in this one, I'm one of the hosts and we cover one of the technologies known as SMA or Service Management Automation. Essentially what SMA does is it allows us to go and tie PowerShell workflows to the self-service portals from the Azure Pack. So this means if I want to go and deploy a new virtual machine, once it starts to get provision, we could go and create custom actions to do things such as inject scripts, attach new virtual hard disks, perform backups. So this really kind of gives you the best practices of showing you how to configure it, how to set up different fabric experience,
1: and different types of
0: tenant experiences as well. So all the good info you need to get up and running
1: with SMA. One of the cool things that I spotted this week was that uh, we've actually um, released a special version of Azure for Government. Azure so Government Edition! Government, yeah, very cool. It's, it's a really nice idea. It's actually an gap version of Azure, so it means that we have a physically separate data center, physically separate uh, network from all of the other workloads. Really, really cool if you're uh, in federal government anywhere. Um, you're going to really, really like having a look at that. We can do lots of things that you'd expect us to be able to do inside of Azure. Things like being able to spin up uh, SharePoint instances for you uh, really super quick. So take a look at the announcements down at the bottom of the page.
0: Oh, great. And now in our partner showcase, we have two big announcements from some of our partners last week. The first one comes from Partner Parallels. Now you may know Parallels for their virtualization container technology, but they've also been investing a lot in their IT service management, and they've recently just released an add-on for the Windows Azure Pack known as the APS package. What this does is it's a collection of services that basically allow you to get better visibility in how, to your, in how your resources get consumed through Azure Pack. So it offers self-service IT. It offers the traditional PaaS and the traditional support for IaaS applications. Now, from this, the different capabilities is it allows you to actually build a storefront so you can get integration with your own custom portals. You could see how people are buying them, how they're using these technologies. You have customer portals, you have billing requests, provisioning, uh, asset tracking, asset management, and then, of course, reporting for all of this. So it's essentially allowing you to tie the Azure Pack back to your own custom business processes as well. I will include a link for the Parallels Azure Pack APS package at the bottom of this page as well. Now from one of our other partners, Provence, they actually do a lot of IT management as well, but they use System Center Service Management. So last week they released a brand new suite for System Center Service Manager that includes a lot of their different tools and utilities they've already had now packaged under a single cheap license. So this suite includes their own custom self-service portal, analytics portals, IT asset management, dashboards, data management, and their power pack, which actually includes three of their other most popular selling technologies. So if you're an existing Mm. system center service manager customer, go take a look at this new uh, suite from Provence, and it will give you a lot of new capabilities not available directly in our product. Well, with that, we're now going to go take a look at our new section, and Mm. we're going to be bringing on Eldon Christensen, He's one of our PM leads from Failover Clustering, and we're going to take a look at the new capabilities of Failover Clustering and high availability in the upcoming version of Windows Server. Welcome back to The Edge Show. Simon Perriman here, and I'm joined by Eldon Christensen, one of our Program Manager leads from Failover Clustering. And in this episode, we're going to be telling you what's new in the latest and greatest version of Failover Clustering. First, Eldon, can you give a quick introduction? How long have you been at Microsoft? What do you do here? Uh, so I've been at Microsoft 15
2: years now. It um, doesn't seem that long, but 15 years. So it's gone by fast. So... Uh 15 years, I work on the failover clustering feature. So I own actually failover clustering that you see in Windows Server, and I own the networking load balancing feature that you also see in Windows Server.
0: All right, great. I believe it or not, Eldon actually used to be my boss about <laughs> seven years ago. So uh, he was the was second that? person I met at Microsoft <laughs> on my very first day. That's, that's right. That's a long time ago. So we go back a long way back to the cluster team. And I wanted to bring him back on the show here to, you know, he's a great speaker. Tell us what's new in clustering here.
2: Um, so I, I guess the this is kind of my third time of doing this. So it's kind of it cool. Is, so I yeah. did it on two thousand eight, on twenty
0: twelve, twenty twelve R two. Now we're here on V next. Um, so what were like the big design themes? I guess right, kind of like the big investment areas, the big pillars of focus.
2: So uh, one of them was around increasing agility. So one of the things that's happened with Windows Server is that we've increased the release cadence. So uh, we have now kind of snapped in this release cadence kind of like every 12 to 18 months we're pumping out re- releases. And we used to be in kind of this three-year release cadence. So things are very different in the in the velocity which we're moving and in the rate at which we're pumping out innovation. Um, and, and enable, one of the pain points we're with customers was uh, the ability to stay current. We're throwing out these releases every 12 to 18 months and they're saying, Great innovation. I love it. I want to embrace it. I want to adopt it. But it was so painful. And so with clusterings in the past, we, we had some migration tools and migration mm-hmm. stories. Um, and, and it really required you know that you'd have one cluster and another cluster, and you'd have to move from one
0: to the other. And it was very
2: painful right. to... Move from one side to the other.
0: Well, if a customer had a single cluster as well, right? They would literally have to kind of cut it in half, evict nodes, go build a second cluster yep. from it, and then yep. do that migration between the pair. Yep. So, so how is it different now? So now
2: we've actually to, to enable people to move forward quickly and embrace the, the the OS releases faster. What we're doing now is that we support rolling upgrades. So what you can effectively do is that let's say you have your Hyper-V cluster which is up and running, uh, and you've got let's say eight nodes running okay. uh, 2012 R2. So Effectively, what you're going to do is you're just going to drain that node. So you'll put it in maintenance mode, either for VMM or through Failover Cluster Manager. And then that will live migrate all those VMs off of it uh, and get that node clean. And then you'll effectively evict it
0: from the cluster, put the new OS on it on vNext, and be able to join it to the cluster. So just to clarify, this allows you to rejoin it to the same cluster. We don't have to actually create a brand new separate cluster for this. Exactly. Okay. So, so you'll have a so same, same name, right?
2: Same cluster, same name, same okay. everything, and you'll have mixed OS versions running in the same cluster. And what's cool is that you'll be able to then, all these nodes can coexist together. So you'll be able to live migrate VMs up the to, to vNext, and you'll be able to live migrate them down as oh, well. Okay. That's the cool okay. thing. So things will all coexist in this kind of, uh, in this mode. Now, the one thing we we introduced is this concept of a cluster functional level. Um, So now, effectively, when these new VNex nodes are added to the cluster, they're going to operate in a downward compatibility mode. Uh, And what that really means is that uh, the new features won't be lit up and so they'll be operating in a way that's compatible with the down level nodes. Okay. So you'll effectively go through each and every single node until you get them to the up level version and then you'll effectively you'll have a big the big switch you pull, right? And that will switch you from uh, 2012 R2 mode to V-next node and that'll unlock all the new features.
0: So is this kind of similar to like active directory functional levels? Yeah, so we kind of
2: tried to keep, we we figured that was a concept that customers were familiar with okay. um, and we wanted to kind of maintain that same kind of terminology and concepts and so we kind of tried to follow in those footsteps of what we introduced just to keep it consistent.
0: And so once they go and flip the switch and it's on the new mode, then all these new features start to work, right? Is that Right. A- right. And that's kind of the point of no return as well. So once you get everything running on
2: vNext, then what you'll do is then you'll flip the big red switch and, and uh, that will flip on all the new features, which I'll talk about in just a second on some of the new features. And, but once you do that, you have the new features, but then you can't roll back per se. So all the way up to that point, you could actually go and say, you know what, I'm having some problems, I'm going to roll back to 2012 R2 mm-hmm. and start evicting the VNX nodes and putting them back on the 2012 R2 and slowly roll your way back. So you can go forward and backwards.
0: Well, that's going to be a really good feature. And I mean, is this something that we're going to keep supporting in future versions as well?
2: Yeah, so moving forward, this is kind of our strategy. We had a, a migration strategy in the past, but this is kind of the forward-looking strategy of how we want to enable seamlessly and quickly you know, a, a agility for customers to keep up.
0: Great. Well, now, clustering itself is all about high availability and resiliency. What are kind of the new, uh, I guess, compute resiliency features we've added? So one of the fundamental, if, if you kind of want to go back, being
2: an old school cluster guy, I've been doing this for a long time, if you want to go back, one of the fundamental assumptions that we had in the past was that um, hardware was going to be resilient. Mm-hmm. You were going to, customers were going to buy expensive enterprise, enter, enterprise class-grade hardware, um, and it was going to be resilient hardware was always going to be working. And so now, as we moved in kind of this, what we consider the software defined data center, software defined world, where we want to enable the power of software and low cost commodity hardware, we need to kind of fundamentally change some of those assumptions. We need to assume that we're no longer running, you know, we could be running on low cost commodity hardware, which doesn't have the same level of quality. Um, and so we need to fundamentally shift on how we think about these things. And it's about designing, not with the assumption that the hardware will always work, mm-hmm. but that the hardware might not always work. There's going to be problems, and we need to be resilient to those sorts of problems. So one of those things is that we're doing is around called what we call compute resiliency. Uh, and so what compute resiliency is about kind of building resiliency within the cluster to transient network failures. So if we have these communication losses between the nodes in the cluster, we'll allow nodes to fall out of cluster membership. We'll leave those VMs
0: running, and then under the covers, we're going to be trying to get those VMs back in. Mm, so we're not actually shutting down the VMs doing a full failover. So we got more resiliency for the VMs themselves, even while there's a network hiccup.
2: Yeah, so in the past... Okay. Clustering was very aggressive, let's call it that way. So basically, we're closely, we're doing these heartbeats between the nodes, right? We're detecting as soon as something can't respond, and then we're aggressively crashing those VMs, failing everything over, and we're trying to be really aggressive in the sense of... Bring them over fast as soon as we can. Right, right. And bring them over fast, fail fast philosophy, Mm -hmm. with the goal of achieving the highest level of down... of lowest level of downtime. And that works well for heart failures, like if you have a motherboard blow out on you, but... How often do you really have a motherboard go out on you? Not that often. Not that often. So it's much more common that you might have some spanning tree convergence, some switch reset, some 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 sort of network hiccup. Okay. That and so we're optimizing for that.
0: Okay. Now one of the other things I hear a lot about is you know sometimes if a cluster node keeps crashing, we'll keep bringing it back into membership. We move VMs over. It kind of causes disruption. We're now doing something where we're isolating or quarantining a particular node, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So this is kind of taking this. So um, if you think about the when nodes are misbehaving and not playing well in the sandbox, the other nodes that can be disruptive. When nodes are coming into membership and out of membership, mm-hmm. um, and they're trying to communicate and exchange DAG, they're trying to resynchronize. A lot of things are going on, and that can be very disruptive to the cluster. So, uh, and and kind of like a, we, we kind of use we use the term flapping in the sense of like a flapping network port. So we're kind of a, a, using that same terminology with a node that it's coming in and out and in and out. And so what we're doing is that now if a node is is having trouble maintaining itself in the membership of the cluster, we will actually remove it from cluster membership. We'll say, you okay. oh, know, you're not playing nice with the other boys, you're off on your own, and, we'll, and then we'll quarantine them and keep them out of the cluster for a little while, two hours by default, and then we'll bring them back in and see if that's just some sort of transient problem and they're working again. Mm, okay, and is that value configurable? Yep, it's configurable okay. on uh, how long you want a node to be quarantined out of the cluster. Great. Now, what about storage and storage resiliency? What kind of improvements have we made with that? So, the the first thing I was talking about with compute resiliency was really about kind of this east-west traffic, where the the communication between the nodes in the cluster, and it's network communication. It could also be uh, failures of the cluster service and a large range of different failures. But we also wanted to increase resiliency north-south between the storage. Okay. Um, and so. Today, for example, if you are having the storage array maybe falls behind, it becomes saturated, um, it's having some sort of a transient failure with the storage, some sort of um, maybe a fiber channel switch. Today, those VMs are going to time out, and then they're going to crash and we'll fail them over. And it's very disruptive. You lose session state. Very, yeah, a lot of yeah. very disruptive. So now what we're going to do is that when the the storage underneath a virtual machine um, has a problem. We're actually going to throw the VM in, we're into a pause critical state, so basically we're going to freeze it. We're going we're to okay. freeze it, and when it's frozen, we're going to wait under the covers. We're going to try to get storage back, and then when we get storage back, we're going to thaw that VM, and then it's going to resume and keep going.
0: Nice. So what were we doing in the past? We were just killing it?
2: Yeah, in the past, we just, we'd just shoot it. Okay. And,
0: crash and it would fail over. And the difference now is we pause it. So the VM will still be resumed once we fix that underlying uh, storage issue. Right. So the the beauty of this is that the session state is retained. So the
2: app is still running. Everything within the app is still running. And if you're within the TCP reconnect window, let's say around 20 seconds, it's all completely seamless. Now most apps also have um, some sort of reconnect logic built in. So even if that VM goes freezes and goes Goes dark for a little bit, and then thaws and comes back, and all that session state is retained. A lot of those apps, which are connecting to it, are have reconnect logic, and they'll mm, reconnect. And it's okay. going to be effectively seamless from an end user perspective. Things might go dark for a little bit, but they come back, and it's a, a beautiful way to respond when these, you know, when storage just has a hiccup, and then all of a sudden it comes back.
0: Very nice. Now you mentioned that we were trying to reduce the cost of storage as well. You know, in the past, SANs have always been one of the more expensive things. Yep. Yet regular clusters have direct attached storage. I hear we're making some improvements in this area with clusters using direct attached storage. Can you elaborate on that?
2: Yeah. So in the past, we've always required shared storage um, for a cluster, um, and there were some application level solutions to enable you to do clusters with DAS only storage. Um, so, for example, in Exchange with a DAG with a database availability group, or with SQL Always On with an availability group. You could use local storage with Exchange and SQL, but you couldn't with any other workload. So and and that was one of the things that we wanted to enable having another option for storage uh, so that customers could use just the internal hard drives and then kind of create a virtual SAN out of them per se where they can then use the power of
0: spaces on top of it and create resilient storage out of it. Uh, spaces, storage spaces? Storage spaces, yes. Okay. And so, what's the benefit? Like, how does that look? I can literally just have a bunch of commodity servers. They all just use local attached storage, and through that, we can now build a cluster.
2: Yep. So you'll be able to have just uh, local internal hard drives, SATA drives. So that's actually one of the big cost reductions. So, like a a, um, SSD, a SAS SSD is very expensive. Mm -hmm. A SATA SSD is like 10% of the of the cost. Interesting. So it's a radical price reduction in the type and the in the class of drives that you can put in the internal. Uh, servers
0: and then create a virtual storage array out of them. So what's causing resiliency? You know, if I'm on node 1 using local storage, node 1 dies. How, does my, how do I get access to my data on node 2 or on node 3 or node 4? So effectively, uh, through the power spaces, we'll create like a three-way mirror. So you'll okay.
2: have uh, effectively, imagine you have hard drives on, on three different servers, which are internal hard drives. We present them up through one of the servers actually over SMB as the protocol transport. And then you will create a space out of them. So you'll have a three-way mirror out of these three disks, and then we're slabbing the data across all three. So if, in the event that you lose a server, you still have two more copies on two of the other servers.
0: Awesome. Now, what happens in that scenario, though, if you know, we have some type of bad data, some type of bad information? Is that bad information going to get replicated across all three servers? Uh, no. So we have uh,
2: consistency guarantees when we go and check, and we'll make sure that the data is good. And, and ultimately, this is really... So if any customers are familiar with, like, vSAN or have heard, of, uh, heard about what VMware is doing around vSAN, This is
0: our solution to that, so this is our competitive solution to vSAN. Great. Now, I hear we're also making some improvements around storage replica as well. You know, in our last release, we introduced a technology known as Hyper-V replica that allowed us to replicate at that virtual hard Mm -hmm. disk level. How are we enhancing that? What are we doing to make this even better? So there's kind of two things people have asked me for for the last ten years, like big things.
2: Like Mm -hmm. from the the ten years that I've been on this team, there's kind of two things. One is the ability to create a cluster without shared storage. We're doing that Checkbox, in VNEX. Right? Checkbox. We got that. VNEX. We're doing that in VNext. The other thing is that people want to create disaster recovery solutions. And one of the Achilles heels that we've always had in our story is that we didn't have an end-to-end story. Right. So if you wanted to take a cluster, you can stretch them across sites. And you can put some in New York and some in New Jersey and achieve not only high availability but disaster recovery. But the problem is, is that w- when it came to the replication software, we'd always say, you got to call somebody else.
0: Obviously, you need the data at both locations, hence that's why we need some yep. type of replication solution between them.
2: Yep. And so we would say call somebody else, and, and customers always said to us, hey, Microsoft, you guys need. we want you to own this end-to-end scenario. We want a single you know, butt on the line that we can call when something goes wrong that owns the solution can make sure everything really works together. Mm-hmm. And so that's always something that we've lacked in our portfolio. So there's the other kind of check of the
0: two really big things for the last two, 10 years that customers have been really on me about. Nice. So, I mean, in the past, you know, people would have to do either file-based replication or block-level replication. How exactly are we going to handle it in this scenario? What are we doing here? Yeah,
2: so this is going to be volume-based replication. So okay. down at the volume level, we'll be doing replication of entire volume from, from one, either you can have a SAN on one side to a SAN on another side, um, and doing replication to the other side, or, or um, uh, it could be a, a cluster with uh, spaces with DAS. So, well.
0: so how flexible is the storage types? Do we have strict restrictions over things like the file system, the number of volumes, anything like that?
2: Nope, nope. It's completely down at the volume level, and it's completely agnostic to whether you're running fiber channel storage, or iSCSI storage, or SAS storage, shared storage, non-shared storage.
0: It's completely agnostic to it. And, uh, I mean, so one of the things that I heard about with the Hyper-V replica, a limitation was that it's asynchronous, meaning we write the changes locally, we send them over, hope they arrive. Are we doing anything with synchronous replication here?
2: Yeah, so this will be able to do both sync and async, there's a couple different modes you build able to do storage replica. So uh, in a synchronous mode, so if you want to deploy within a stretch cluster where you're stretching those nodes across sites, you're going to want to do it in a synchronous mode um, and it supports that. You can also do replication between clusters. And then you could do that in an asynchronous mode. And then for doing orchestration for failover between clusters, you can actually use Azure Site Recovery as the cloud to do management of data center failover between clusters.
0: Nice. Well, let's talk a little more about uh, managing with the cloud here. One limitation I heard with these multi-site cluster scenarios is people would have at least two nodes on the first site, so they could do local failover first, then cross-site, two on the second site. But then, if they needed some type of witness disk, they had issues with some type of replicated witness It needed to be managed by a third-party solution. How are we making this better? So, yeah, in the past, it was we would always say, so imagine
2: you're going to do, deploy a multi-site cluster for disaster recovery. So It'd say, put a couple notes here, let's say two, put another two here. And now, the problem is that if you lose communication between these two, you need some... Th- arbitration point. You right. need some arbitration point. You need some decision maker to say who should stay up and who should shut down. And unless you have that, they don't know, you know, we call that a split brain. When no, two sites can't talk to each other but they don't know who should stay up.
0: So, so one solution we had was the file share witness, right? What well, yep. exactly is the file share witness?
2: So the file share witness is about using an SMB share as a decision maker. So okay. when
0: nodes lose communication with each other, they want to go talk to the, to the SMB share. And, then, and, and and then how, how does that voting happen? Like you know you have this SMB share. What what's in it? Who, which side wins? Basically, which side wins that arbitration in quorum?
2: Yeah. So uh, when we're arbitrating for the for the file share witness, basically what happens is that whichever node owns the file share basically gets a head start, and then the secondary node has a little bit of a a little bit of a, a timer that he waits, and he'll wait a little while, and then we have a. Uh, a sequence number that we put on the file share witness, and then whichever node has a consistent version of the sequence number with his database, then he knows he should stay
0: up. So basically one side has access to the file share, they take majority, the other side doesn't, they stay offline. Sorry, I
2: went shroom. (laughs) um.
0: Well, no. Tell me. I mean, this is this is great info here. So, how are we making this better now for our customers that don't have that third site?
2: Yeah. So, all these customers would say to me, I'd say, hey, you're going to set up a a SQL uh, Always On availability group, and you're stretching these nodes across sites, and we'd say, hey, go or uh, an uh, Exchange DAG or any other multi-site cluster. We'd say, hey, go create a file share witness and a third site. My would be like, I, I don't have a third data center. Are you kidding me? And I'd be like, Oh, we'll go set up in some branch office. You must have some Put it under
0: your CEO's desk at home,
2: right? Yeah, they, yeah. Must, <laughs> they must. be able to throw it on some PC at home, and and that wasn't a very good story. So now you can take, you can use Azure Blob Storage as the as the what we call a cloud witness we're introducing this concept called the cloud witness so we always recommend configuring a witness and when we're doing a stretch cluster this will be the way to configure it
0: so basically side a and side b they can arbitrate with that point up in azure now azure yep. B in that third vote yep. or that other vote yep. now how expensive is it to run that azure service so, we were very mindful of this. So,
2: when you're, when you're using an Azure service- It's paid uh, by consumption, of it, course. It's it is, still within Azure. It's paid by consumption. It's paid by the data usage mm-hmm. and is, uh, by the, the, the megabytes that you are storing in Azure. It's also, uh, you have to pay by, by access to the data. So, we're very mindful of this. Now, the good news is that Azure rounds to the nearest penny okay. in this costing. Um, and we haven't been able to get to around to a penny yet in our usage. So, so less than a penny,
0: half a penny a yeah. month.
2: I'm not making any promises. Okay. That maybe it'll, It might cost, maybe, if things
0: go bad, a penny. but it, Wow. So pretty much free. We've now pretty much offered this as a free, almost free, Azure-based service. I assume you yeah. still need an Azure subscription. You still need to go through the process of setting up the blob storage. you got to
2: set up an Azure account,
0: and you'll have to set up uh, a blob storage. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Now, one other thing that I've heard from a lot of customers around troubleshooting, a big pain point is around cluster logging. The readability of that, you have multiple servers, they're split up. How have we improved that in this release?
2: Um, So we've added a bunch of diagnostic work to try to make troubleshooting a cluster easier. Uh, So in the cluster log itself, uh, we've added a bunch of, uh, so one thing, the the log is kind of logged at level three, so it's a kind of a... Default, right? There's different different levels, right? Default. Okay. But we're also taking snapshots when you capture the log at a a higher granular. So there's Actually, at log level, really granular log level five and level three. So there's like a short little capture. Um, we've also added like system event logs and operational logs. So ultimately, so here's why. Here's the, here's the real why. So I can't tell you how many times somebody would send me an email and be like, Eldon, my cluster is broke, help, exclamation point. And they bang the email and, they, and then they attach a cluster log and send it to me. Yep. And I'm just like, awesome. I'm <laughs> like, here's this giant haystack and I'm trying to find the needle in it in this really verbose log. Um, and so I'd always be like, can you at least give me a hint here? Can you tell me what's in the system event log? Can you tell me what's going on? So we're now capturing that. So that when people okay. just attach a cluster log and send it to me, I can be like, oh, I got, I got everything I need to try to figure out what's going on.
0: Nice, nice. Now, are we, are we doing anything with, like, merging the logs? Because, you know, we have them split over so many servers. Are we enhancing that anywhere?
2: Yeah, so we've, we've done a lot of integration with that as well. So we've done integration with live dumps for starters. So okay. um, a live dumps are a way to take, get a, a dump of the system without actually having to bring down the server or crash it. Normally you get a bug check. You, mm-hmm. 9E is a common one that we do to do health detection. Um, we detect something's wrong, the bug check the box. Um, But we can do uh, a live dump where we can capture the debugging information without downtime. So that's about increasing availability. Um, and then uh, along with that we can also synchronize across all the nodes. So clustering with the distributed system, a lot of times we spend on these really hard, complex issues where we, we have, you know, with cluster-shared volumes, right? And I, A VM is being accessed from this server, and, it's, and then I.O. is being synchronized and forwarded to this server, which is then executing it down to here. And tracing all of that can be very difficult. So now we can do, we can take live dumps, we can do them across, in an orchestrated fashion across all the nodes. So we can say, live dump all nodes, and then what we'll also do is that on failures, we'll take all of that information. We'll take system event logs, cluster logs, we'll take dumps, and then we wrap, wrap it all up into a Windows error reporting, Word report, so that when uh, a week later, when you go, oh, I had that failure, my boss tells me I better figure out what went wrong, and you go to figure out, all oh, the log's wrapped, what do I do now? You're going to have a nice little snapshot capture zip that you're just going to grab, and you'll be able to send up to either support for analysis or take a look yourself.
0: Very nice. Mm -hmm. Well, that was a great summary of all the features. How can people actually go and get hands-on with this with a technical preview?
2: So, all the features I talked about, uh, so um, uh, most of the features I talked about are all in the technical preview. Uh, Some are coming in the public preview uh, down the road. Um, uh, and We've disclosed at TechEd Europe last week um, uh, but you can go download the technical preview and take a look. Try them out. Send us feedback. We have a, uh, there is a Windows Server technical preview forum. We'll include the link
0: as well on the bottom of this I, page. I,
2: um, I monitor it myself. You're actually so, on it. So you're
0: actually getting this ongoing feedback. Yeah. So the product Great. group
2: is directly monitoring that. So if you, go try this feature out, and any of these features out, and you've got some opinions you want to share, you want to give some feedback, I'd love to hear it. Go
0: put in the forums. I'm checking it myself. Right. Now, over time, um, you guys, where are you going to start to publish information about the enhancements, how to use them, the features, everything coming out from the cluster?
2: So we are on the bleeding edge here. Boom, boom. And, uh, <laughs> and it really, we haven't gotten this information out yet. Um, uh-huh. So this is kind of one of the premier places that you're learning about this information. We just went, kind of went public on a lot of it last week. You, this show has the information kind of before we've even had a chance to get out public. So we don't have the blogs out yet. We don't really have much of the content out yet. It's coming. Um, but it's going to be on our cluster blog. Cluster team blog. Cluster team we'll blog. include
0: a link to that as well at the bottom yeah. of the page. So thanks.
2: this is just a great example of how on this show you can really learn about the new features right as on the, on the
0: bleeding edge as they're coming up. Great. Well, Eldon, thanks again for joining me on the show. It's been a pleasure once again. And uh, congratulations. I'm really happy you've hit those big ones, right? You finally got your replicated storage. You've got all those things you've really wanted to do. So congrats on a great release. Uh, We may have Elden back sometime in the future as we start to actually approach RTM. So stay tuned. We're going to continue to have all of our other engineers from Windows Server and Systems said to join us over the next couple of weeks to talk about what's coming out in our next version. Thanks for joining us.
1: So that was really cool. I can't believe that we've actually got the ability to do quorum in the cloud, finally. Exactly. Kind of cool. Been looking for that for a long time. It's going to be super useful. You don't have to have quite so much hardware to be able to deploy your cluster.
0: And just another example of how we're really trying to embrace this hybrid cloud technology Completely. Well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really big thing for us. You guys can follow us uh, on our personal Twitter handles. Mine is simonster. I'm at Simon Perryman. And also you can follow us on the, uh, the Twitter handle
0: for the show, at TNH. Stay tuned, and make sure you go check out these latest te- uh, tech head... Europe on-demand videos, and also download the evaluation edition of the technical preview so you get to get hands-on with our latest and greatest technologists too. And obviously don't forget to give us
1: some comments down at the bottom.
0: We love those comments. We'll see you guys next week.